Welcome to the podcast of First Baptist Church in Wellston, Oklahoma, featuring the weekly teaching and preaching ministry of the church. We are grateful that you are choosing to join us today. Our prayer is that you are blessed by today's study of God's Word, and your heart will be receptive to what God desires to teach you today. For more information about FBC Wilson, please visit our website at fbcwilson.org. We hope you enjoyed today's service, and we look forward to studying God's Word with you today. Well, Mark chapter 1, I'm going to start in verse 21. If you'll follow along in your copy of God's Word as I read aloud out of mine, we're going to read verse 21 down through verse 28, and we are going to spend some time looking at this passage this morning. Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 21. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, Who is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. I pray that God adds understanding and application to his word this morning. It's in the Doctrine and Covenants section number 130. In the Church of the Latter-day Saints, the Mormon teaching. And in that number 130 of their doctrine and covenants is an explanation of Jesus. And if you're to go back to that instruction in the Mormon church, they will explain that Jesus and Lucifer were both created beings by God. And then at one point in time, God had a question about how he would redeem his creation. And so as the story goes in that document, Jesus and Lucifer both stood in front of God and both had a separate proposal how they would bring about the redemption of humanity. Satan's idea was to go down and to uh, compel them, to go down there and make them, to go down there and oblige them. Jesus' idea was to go down and to be a redeemer, to go down and be a sacrifice, to go down and woo them through love. The story goes in the Mormon church that God accepted Jesus' proposal, rejected Lucifer's proposal, and then the result was Lucifer then rebelled against God, became Satan, and we know the rest of the story. Jesus then went down to earth, redeemed God's people, and attained to the level of godness. Jehovah's Witness also has an explanation of how Jesus came to be. 
You see in the Jehovah's Witness teaching, and you don't see this very often, but if you dig down into what they really believe and what they really teach, they will tell you that Jesus was a created being. He was the first created being. He has a place of prominence and a place of priority. But Jesus was created by God because they believe there is only one God, and that is God Jehovah. And so they believe that Jesus was created by God, and so therefore he is a good person, but he is not God. Muhammad, when he claims to receive the revelation and what now has become the Islamic religion, claims that yes, Jesus lived and yes, Jesus was alive on this earth and Jesus is a fine teacher and he is a fine prophet, but he is not Allah because there is no way that Allah, their word for God, there is no way that Allah would come down, subjugate himself to live on this earth as a mere human. So even Muhammad says Jesus existed, but he is not God. When we come to the Gospel of Mark, Mark is making it very clear who Jesus is. And he's going to make it very clear as he has in the pages before how he has come and he has said through the mouth of John the Baptist that this person is coming, Jesus Christ is coming. Not just Jesus, that is his name. Christ is his title. But then the Savior, the Messiah, that this person is coming. And then you see later on in the, cha- the first chapter of Mark where he, then Jesus comes and he submits himself to the baptism of John the Baptist. And God speaks out of heaven and says, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And then Jesus comes on the scene after spending the 40 days in the temptation. He comes on and says, here I am. The Messiah is amongst you. And last week we were looking there in Mark chapter 1, how he comes in and he explains to people, I am calling people to me. And then as we get here to Mark chapter 1 and we look at this, as I've already read in verse 21 down to verse 28, Mark is making another statement. He is giving us another picture. He's adding another puzzle piece, if you will. And what I put there in your notes, and you'll see hopefully with me through the Word of God this morning, is that Mark is saying this is not just the guy that we've been looking for. This is not just the Son of God. This is God in the flesh. And you may say, well, Spence, why is that such a big deal if that is God in the flesh? It makes all the difference in the world. My salvation, your salvation, rests upon the identity of Jesus. If Jesus was just a good guy, he could not die as a sacrificial lamb. If Jesus was just good a teacher, he wouldn't be enough to pay the penalty for your sins. If Jesus was just a historical postage stamp, you and I are in this room on the hook for all of the Old Testament law, and we, none of us in this room, are good enough to be in front of God on our own merits. It is all hinging upon the deity, which is meaning the godness of Jesus Christ. And so that's why we have believed, and that's why we believe here this morning in a Baptistic understanding Of this Trinitarian picture, you have God the Father, you have God the Son, and you have God the Holy Spirit. Three distinct persons in one Godhead. 
So as Mark begins this explanation, he's giving us different pieces. This is the message for the church. This is the message of who Christ is. This is why you have a gospel. And as he's shown us this this picture earlier in the baptism, and that's Mark chapter 1 and verse 9, he is now going to turn a corner, give us another picture, another scene, and he shows us the deity of Christ. Now it's hard because we haven't got to the Mount of Transfiguration. The Mount of Transfiguration later on in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus gets up there and he receives that glorification in front of everybody. Everybody sees that is God. Well, this isn't happening right here. So what Mark does is he shows us these signs, these signs that point to the deity of Christ. And we're going to look at specifically three signs that Mark points to that shows us the deity of Christ. You may say, well, Spence, it's not that sexy of a conversation. It's not that sexy of a topic to talk about the deity of Christ. Here's what I'm going to tell you this morning. It may not be sexy, and it may not be trendy, and it may not be faddish. But the only hope that you and I have of reconciliation with God is through His Son, Jesus Christ. And the reason why the Mormons are trying to earn their way and the reason why the Mormons teach that you can attain to the same level of Jesus and you can attain to this God-like status is because they have a works-based philosophy. The same reason why the Jehovah's Witnesses are going out, they're knocking on the doors. Even though they believe the 144,000 already went up to heaven in the early 1900s, they believe everybody else, you're trying to live in this perfect life on earth. Why? Because they've understood this idea that it's all about their works and it's all about their, their trying and their efforts and it's all based upon them that's why islam has the five pillars and they spend all of their lives trying to attain trying to work trying to earn because they believe that it's not a matter of a person it's a matter of themselves trying to get in right relationship with god and yet we come to christianity and christianity is the only tradition the only faith that teaches it is not based upon my merit my works or my worth it is only based upon the blood of jesus christ so this is a fascinating conversation to have. So Mark chapter 1, he gives us these signs. I've already read them into your hearing, but let's back up and start at verse 21 again, and let's look at how he gives us these signs of the deity of Christ. The first sign he talks about is a sign of authority. If you look back up there at verse 21, it says that he entered Capernaum. Now, why does giving us this information is because Jesus, as we will see later on, he is from Nazareth. That's where he spent most of his late teenage years. He's there in Nazareth. But as he begins this earthly ministry at the age of 30, he relocates. He gets a place there in Capernaum. He relocates around that Sea of Galilee. And so Capernaum becomes the home base of all of his ministry. So he says, Capernaum. He goes on the Sabbath into the synagogue, and he was teaching. Now, we've already talked about it. He doesn't have the pedigree of some big, fancy, big-name rabbi. He didn't have the the, the teaching. He wasn't steeped in all of the the, uh, rabbinical traditions, and yet he comes on the scene, and he goes into the synagogue. He begins teaching, and what does it say? Verse 22, they were astonished as his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority. Mark is pointing out the authority of Christ not because it was based upon the place or the title. There was nothing fancy about Capernaum. 
There was nothing about the title of Jesus. He hadn't gotten voted the most popular in his class. He wasn't the the, the best student in school. He was really a nobody. He came into the synagogue, which is their version of a church. He came into the church. He stood up and began to teach out of the scriptures. And yet everybody is astounded because not because of what he was saying, but because of the authority by which he was speaking. And it tells us here in the text that everybody, everybody in the place saw that there was something different and the difference was evident to them. And they're all sitting there listening to Jesus teach. They're listening to Jesus talk. They're listening to Jesus explain what the scriptures mean. Now think about this. He, all he has is the Old Testament. And most likely he doesn't have all of the Old Testament that we have today. Most likely they had a select scroll of Isaiah. Maybe a couple of chapters here. Maybe they had a little bit from the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. So he would just take a scroll. He would open the scroll. He would read a passage of scripture. And then he would expound on what that scripture means and how that scripture applies to their life. And as he's doing that, no gizmics, no gizmos, no lights, no air conditioning, no smoke, no fog, no nothing. They are all wrapped with attention. Sometimes in the Christian church today, we think that it's all about delivery. But if you look there at the verse 21 and verse 22... It wasn't about delivery. It was about the content. So Mark is trying to make a point. Mark is trying to show them that the authority of Jesus, the authority of the deity of Jesus Christ was not based upon the physical presence of Christ, was not based upon the title of Christ, but the authority was based upon what he was saying. If you look there in verse 21, it talks about teaching. Verse 22, he was teaching. Christ came on the scene and he began to tell them, thus saith the Lord. Because he was speaking the word of God, it had inherent authority. Please don't make the mistake of thinking that this book is just as important as another book. There is not another book that has been printed. There is not another book in your possession. There is not another thing that you have that is of more value than the Holy Bible. I spent all week long up in Kansas City at, at one of my weeks of school. And as, as I get up there, it's, it's always you get in that academic environment and everybody, you know, they're like, oh, look at us. You know, we're all smart and look at us. We're all that put together. And I'm thinking, you know what? That all has its place and I'm glad that it's there. But there have been many a country preachers with a Bible and fire in their bones that were just as effective and used for God as the fanciest, slick-haired, fancy-dressed preacher or teacher in the world. And brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that our authority, that our relevance, our, our hearing does not come from ourselves or from our delivery. It comes from the Word of God. So Mark says in Mark chapter 1, I want you to understand this imagery. He showed us his deity by his authority. But not just his authority. Mark goes on. It's his identity. His identity. Now everybody in the room, everybody in the room was sitting there. And as Jesus is teaching, they are all just sitting there fixed like, oh, wow. 
This guy is speaking. This guy has authority. This guy has gravity to what he is saying. And then as the text goes on there in verse 23, what does it say? It says, in their synagogue, a man with an unclean spirit. Now, and what is an unclean spirit? An unclean spirit is something demonic. An unclean spirit, you have clean and you have unclean. A clean spirit would be something from heaven. An unclean spirit would be something from hell. So you had a person that was at church. Don't let the irony miss you. There was a person that was at church and demon possessed. You say, Spence, could that happen today? Maybe. I don't want to accuse anybody in this room, but it is possible, it is possible that you have people that come into the church that look the right way, that act the right way, that may even sound the right way, but their heart is unclean. So it says there in verse 23 that immediately in their synagogue, in the sanctuary, in the church, there was a person and they had an unclean spirit. And as that unclean spirit started hearing the authority and the word of God, the unclean spirit said, I can't handle it anymore. And it says at the last part of verse 23 that he cried out. And then he gives us some questions. What do you, what do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come here to destroy us? And that's not all of it, but notice what he says. I know who you are. Last part of verse 24. I know who you are, the Holy One of demon-possessed man in the room. The man was not speaking. It was the demon inside the man that was speaking. And as you can think about going from the holiness of Christ, going the deity of Christ, and then you go to the opposite end of the spectrum and you have this demon possessing and dwelling a human being that then begins to speak to Christ. And what does he do? He identifies who Jesus was. The Spirit knew who Jesus was and the Spirit knew what he was. See, the Spirit will refer to Jesus and they know Jesus of Nazareth. That is his title. That is his name. That's how the people would have known him. Hey, that's Jesus. He's from Nazareth. That's how people would have talked about him. But the Spirit, the unclean Spirit, Spirit with a small s, knew what Jesus was. The Spirit knew that Jesus was the Son. He knew that he was God in the flesh. You may say, well, Spence, that doesn't prove to me who Jesus is. Well, we have a lot of people going around claiming to be one thing and being something else. We have a lot of people today that are trying to put on the show. Last night I tried to convince you that I was a delivery man. There are people all over the place that try to put on certain airs, trying to act one way, trying to be one thing, trying to show something else. But as Mark is giving us this picture, and he's giving us this imagery of what happened there in the synagogue, and he said, you know what? Even, even the demons know who Jesus is is. And so you have this statement of testimony. You have this statement of identification. You have this statement of saying Jesus is not only the Son of God, but He is the Holy One of God. Do people still know that today? Romans chapter 1 tells us that God has revealed Himself to all of creation. Romans 1 tells us that God has revealed himself to all of creation so that all of creation is without excuse. Romans 1 would tell us that everybody knows by nature that there is a God. 
And based upon the authority of the Word of God, that means that every single one of us in this room that can understand knows that there is a God. The question is, is what are you doing about that God? So he says, based upon uh, this picture that we have, he shows us the deity of Christ through his authority. He shows us the deity of Christ through his identity. But then, as Mark continues, he shows us the deity of Christ by the testimony of the people around him. So as the demon is speaking to Jesus, and Jesus says, that's enough, come out of him. The demon convulses the guy, he cries out a loud, loud voice, and he comes out of him. So can you just imagine going to church? And you leave church and you're headed down. People say, how was church this morning? Ah, it wasn't bad. It wasn't bad. Did you have a guest preacher this morning? Yeah, man, there's this guy that just moved. He moved from Nazareth a few miles over, and he just moved to town, kind of got set up, and he showed up at church, and he got a, t- he got a chance to talk. Well, was he any good? Man, you sure to hurt him. That guy brought it. He was straight fire. Everything he said, I was just like, oh. What else happened? And then it got crazy. Got a little Pentecostal. Got a little charismatic. Got a little bit out of hand, right? It got a little crazy. What do you mean? Well, as Jesus is talking, as Jesus is preaching, this other guy, this other guy just blurts out from the pew, just blurts out and says, I know who you are. Are you here to destroy us? We know who you are. You're the son of God. And this guy named Jesus, he's up there, whoever he's at, he's up there and he just looks at the guy and says, get out of him. And all of a sudden the guy just falls down. He starts shaking real violently and all of a sudden, poof. And then what happened? Then the guy was normal. So what does that mean? That means... That Jesus is somebody to pay attention to. That means that Jesus is somebody. See, they had people in those days that could talk. They had their orders. They had their pulpit people. They had their slick tongue people that could get up there and talk and speak and all that kind of stuff. And that had its place. They also had the people that would get up and they would try to do signs. And they would try to do symbols to say they were something and they could do something. But no one, no one had gotten up at that point and spoke with the authority of Christ and had the power and the sovereignty of Christ. There was not a single person up to that point that had done that. And so when the people saw it, it says in verse 27, when the people saw saw it, they were all amazed. That word amazed in our English translation, it just doesn't quite get the idea behind what is going on. And of us of here in our Western mindset and our Western culture, we are so confined to sometimes our English language and sometimes our English language fails us. This idea of being amazed is not like, oh, that's cool. That's awesome. Oh, that's, that's, that's neat. It's the idea that you were struck. You were at awe. The first time that I saw my wife, it was like, oh. The first time you sit in a Chevrolet, Mr. Ron, and you drive it for the first time, it's, oh. The first time you watch your Cowboys win a football game at some point down the future, it is just a bit of a, Oh, right? It's this idea that they were amazed. It just wasn't they were intrigued. It wasn't just that they were interested. It wasn't just that they were entertained. It wasn't just that they were like, oh, that's kind of cool. Let me text somebody about that. It's the point that they were completely left for, uh, for what to say. They just didn't have the words to fully contain what was going on. It says they were amazed, and they questioned among themselves, saying, what is this? We don't 
don't understand. We've never heard this kind of authority. We've never seen this kind of power. We've never seen these supernatural, miraculous works taking place. We don't understand. And in short, what Mark is showing us is the people were confronted. The people were confronted with not just the word of Christ, but the works of Christ. They were confronted not just with the presence of Christ, but the power of Christ. They were confronted not just with the, the works of Christ, but the wonder of Christ. And they are sitting there and they are going, okay, so now we got to make a decision. We've seen what he can do. Is this really the guy? The guy that we have been brought up being told would come. The guy that our parents our grandparents, our great-grandparents prayed would come. Is this the guy the Old Testament was looking forward to? Is this the guy that is going to be the Messiah, the Savior, that is going to reconcile me to God? Is this the person? The people were confronted with who is this? And then it says in verse 28, And at once his fame spread Everywhere. You see, the people were confronted and there was a response. When the people realized who this was, when the people got excited and they got a grab, grip and a grasp on who he was, they didn't just say, ho hum, and went home. They got excited. And it says in verse 28, fame spread everywhere. Now how do you think that happened? Do you think fame spread because Jesus went person to person to person saying, hey, you know what, I'm the Messiah and watch this, boom, demon possession, exorcism, boom, gone. Do you think he went person to person to person? No. So how did the fame spread? The fame spread because the people that were in the synagogue that day that saw what Jesus did, they got excited. And when they got excited, they went and told someone else about what Jesus did. And when they went and told someone else about what Jesus did, then someone else told someone else about what Jesus did. And in short, they shared and they saw, they shared what they saw and they heard. And it says the word spread. So in this bottom part of your bulletin, there's a blank spot. How many names could you put in that blank spot of the people this week that you've told about Jesus? Because you're excited about what Jesus has done in your life. It's not a big blank spot. You can even write small if you have to. You can go to the inside. You can use some of the inside if you run out of space back here to give some names. Who, who do you have? Oh, preacher, I'm excited. Oh, yeah, I'm excited about Jesus. Oh, yeah, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine while I'm in here. Please. It doesn't matter what you say to me. Please, not in the presence and the watching of God. 
Act like you're excited about Jesus. And then never tell anyone about Jesus. You get here in Mark. And Mark just says, I want you to know who Jesus is. And he's giving a message to the church to say, church, this is who you have to share. You're not talking about a man that came and never said a word. You're not talking about a man that came and never lifted a finger. You're not talking about a man that came and was shrouded in controversy. You're not talking about a man that started off good and then compromised his character towards the end of his ministry. You're not talking about a man that came and that there was all kinds of questions and there was all kinds of controversies that said good things and bad things. You're not talking about a man that ever impugned the holiness of God. You're talking about a man that came, lived a perfect life, died a death he did not deserve to take my place. And I can just picture Mark writing this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and thinking, just wait till they read this. Just wait till they get excited about reading this. Just wait. They're going to see this and they're going to realize this and they're going to come to grips with this and they're not going to help themselves but to go around and tell everybody who Jesus is. And yet my concern is for many of us in this room this white space is the same white space today as it was last Sunday and today as it will be next Sunday. Why? So this is where I come to how then we can take it and put it in our homes. Mark talks about the deity of Christ. He gives us these three signs, the authority, the identity, the testimony of Christ. He says this is, these, these are signs that point to that he is God in the flesh. And because he's in the God in the flesh, that changes everything. And it's not the Mormon teaching. It's not Jehovah's Witness teaching. It's not the Islamic teaching. The Christian teaching that says this is God in the flesh. God came down. He condescended to us. He became flesh so that he could die in our place. And so you go back here in Mark chapter 1 and he's making sure that we understand this is who Christ is. So then how do we take this? And we think about how it applies. And I put down there at the bottom of your notes, how does it apply in our homes? How does it apply in our witness? How does it apply in our evangelism? How does this truth that Mark gives us here in this passage then apply tomorrow? So how does it do in our homes? Well, a statement that you're going to hear a lot more if you haven't already heard it a lot from me in the past. It's a statement that it is not whether, but which. It is not whether, but which. What I mean by that is if you go back up there in Mark chapter 1, and it says up there in verse 22, he taught them as one who had authority. See, sometimes we start to think, and we'll even use this language. I've used this language before. I'm not saying that you're bad if you use this language. But you hear people say, well, they accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. As if it was an option of the status of Jesus over their lives. I know what people mean, and I've used it before, and I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying that it's not a matter of, Jesus, you're in charge, and I decide if you are or you're not in charge. 
You see, Jesus has authority over my life whether I choose to recognize it or not, whether I choose to submit to it or not, whether I choose to obey it or not. His authority is not up for my acceptance. So it's not a matter of whether you follow authority. It's a matter of which authority are you following. You see, that's really the question at on the table today is it's not a matter of whether you and I follow authority. It's a matter of which authority we choose to follow. So everybody's there in Mark chapter 1 and everybody's listening to him and everybody is amazed at his authority. And you still, then now 2,000 years later, you still have people that are amazed by his authority. But there are other people that are living in this world today that are going, you know what? I know about this Jesus guy. I know about this God guy. But I'm not choosing to follow. I have something else. And you may say, well, Spence, it's not that simple. There's got to be a middle ground. No, 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 no. Here's how it works. Either you are under the authority of God or you are under the authority of you. Because then what you've decided is, I'm not going to yield and submit and obey God because I know what is better for me. So it really just comes down to two options. Either you're living under the authority of God or you're living under the authority of yourself. It's not whether, but which. Parents, your children, it's not whether, but which. Adult, in your home, it's not whether but which. Grandparents, it's not whether but which. Church family, it's not whether but which. Many of churches have split. Many of the churches have died. Many of the churches have fossilized because they stopped living under the authority of God and started living under the authority of them. And temptation is tempting to say, you don't have to listen to God's authority. You can do your own thing. Sin is the rebellion against the authority of God. Where does all this lead? It all starts with you and I saying, God, I will not yield to God's authority in my life. I will yield to my own. It's not whether, but which. So, so you think about that, how it applies to our home, but then what does it do to our witness or our daily testimony? Well, you have the same option that they have here in the text. Either you will rebel or you will repent. Either you will rebel or you repent. When Jesus did this and he's speaking with authority and then the demon possessed man, he cast the demon out and the people are sitting there in their pews and they're just like, what do we do with this now? I don't know what to do with this. I don't know what's going on. And they were confronted. They had to make a decision. Either he is who he says he is or he is not. One of the two and you and I will make a decision whether we will rebel against God's word or we will repent to God's word. Those are the two options. And so many times you and I start to think, well, I need some middle ground. I need some some wiggle room. It can't be that simple. It can't be that black and white. It is. Either you will rebel or you will repent. Because the, 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 the most basic message is you sinned against God. And when you sinned against God, that causes separation between you and God. 
And because of the sin in your life, the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. So the reality that Scripture teaches us is when we sinned against God, now we have separated ourselves from God. So then the question that we have to ask is, how do we get reconciled back to God? Because the Bible tells us the wages of sin is death, and we understand that there are two places that we spend in eternity, either heaven or hell. And so we realize that when we've sinned against God, we've separated ourselves from God, so then the question is, how do I get back to God? And it's not a matter of doing good works. It's not a matter of earning enough money. It's not a matter of doing, uh, having enough wisdom or enough knowledge of where you live. It's a matter of saying, I need something to pay the penalty for my sin. Because God knew you could not do it by yourself. He sent His Son, Jesus. He came to live a life that you could not live, a perfect life. He died on the cross, and His death was the sufficient payment for your sin. So then the Bible tells us, for all who believe in Jesus, and they trust in what he has done, they can pray to be forgiven by God, and because of the work of Christ on our behalf, we can be forgiven of our sin. And when people hear that, they have two choices. Either they can choose to say, I repent, and I trust in the work of Christ on my behalf, and therefore that means I submit my life, I submit my priorities, I submit my will and my way to God, or they say, no, I'll figure it out on my own. I've got two options, repent or rebel. And every single one of us is going to walk out of here this morning. And every single one of us, well, this afternoon, every single one of us is going to walk out of here. And there will be some element of a witness about our lives. Some of our witnesses, some of our lives may be pointing to Jesus. And some of our lives may be pointing to ourselves. But every single one of us is going to walk out either a rebel or a repentant. But then what does this do to our evangelism? (laughs) Once again, go back to verse 28. And it said, and at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. The last thing I want to tell you before we bring this to a close is that we share what we treasure. We share what we treasure. Most of you all have a smartphone. Even Ron has joined the 21st century recently. Most of you have a smartphone, and you know that one of the things you can do to customize your smartphone is you can put a a background picture. Same thing with the computer, the same thing with a lot of other things. You kind of can put a background picture on there. And sometimes you'll be around people, and you'll see them, and they'll 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 hit their phone, wake their phone up, or wake their computer up, and you can see that is what matters to them. It's the treasures they put. It's the things they put. Once upon a time, and you had grandparents, and they kept all the photos in their billfold. And they would talk about their grandkids and say, you want to see pictures of my grandkid? And they'd pull out their wallet or they'd pull out their billfold and they would just... And here they'd have all these pictures of their grandkids, right? Now they just do it on their phone. They can't really figure it out. So you've got to be patient for about 45 seconds while they figure it out how to get there. But they'll get there and they'll just show you picture after picture after picture after picture. Why? Because that's what they treasure. That's what matters to them. That's what means the most to them. And what do they talk about? They talk about the things they treasure. And the same is true about all of us in this room. We share what we treasure. 
Some of you treasure possessions. And that's what you share. Some of you treasure relationships, and that's what you share. Some of you treasure notoriety or prominence, and that's what you share. Some of you treasure being seen in the opinions of other people, and that's what you share. Some treasure Jesus, and that's what they share. And so as Mark is coming to the church, he says, listen, listen, this is God in the flesh. So if there's anything for the church to talk about, we have something to shout from the rooftops. It's not about the delivery. It's about the content. So Mark is giving us a message. The question for us this morning is what message are we sharing? What are people hearing from you? What are you excited about? What treasures are you giving to other people? Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for joining us today at FBC Wellston. We would love to hear from you or connect with you. If you will visit our website at fbcwellston.org. Please let us know if we can serve you in any way, and we look forward to connecting with you in the future.